0: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of In the Zone. This is episode ninety-one, uh, a very special episode because almost every player in the NHL wears number ninety-one. We have a lot of guys, John Tavares, Steven Stamkos, the list goes on and on and on. But Alino, this has been very, very different—a very different playoffs. Um, quickly, I want I want your thoughts on the Carolina-New York series. That was a wash. I thought the Rangers would win that. And Carolina just said, hell no. We, this is uh, kind of looking similar to last year. We all kind of uh, wrote Carolina off last year early on. And again, they just came out swinging last year. And the same thing this year, John um, carl uh, Alino, are you just as surprised as I am in terms of Carolina sweeping the New York Rangers? Oh, I'm very surprised,
1: especially the Rangers coming in. Everybody had them as a dark horse. I had them as a dark horse going through, too. And just looking at their team, like Panarin was an MVP finalist, had an amazing year. So that's a guy that if you you have him on your team, that's an asset to have. You have Henrik Lundqvist, even though he's an older player, just having that presence in net in game one, I think they made the right call. But just going on, like that was a disappointing effort by the Rangers and kudos to the Hurricanes. Stuck to their game plan. Mrazek was unbelievable the first two games. And our guy, James Reimer, wins a playoff round in Toronto. So that was so nice to see Reimer come in, seal the win, and uh, clinch Carolina's uh, sweep going on to the next round.
0: Do you think now with this sweep, do you think that a lot of more fans are going to start maybe appreciating Carolina a little more? Because this has been now... The second year in a row or even myself i've been finding myself not really believing in carolina and just when i say so they just come out and they get the brooms and this is not the first time Um, this is a team that's been resilient i'd say the last year and a half even last year uh, you know when they went to the conference finals against the boston bruins we all kind of had that idea where okay the cinderella story is kind of over boston's a dominant team they will physically dominate you until you're physically tired and that's exactly what happened with guys like aho last year and uh, a couple other guys like justin williams guys that are very clutch they couldn't get their chances because they were worn down but in terms of carolina this year i mean what i saw in this first series against the new york rangers is sometimes you don't need that star power you don't need that like again you just said panarin was an mvp finalist and to me he was my heart trophy winner. I mean, you have 95 points in 69 games. You're a plus 40, for goodness sakes. You just, you impact your team so tremendously. And then you go in the playoffs and, you know, to me, I thought they were the, the favorite. Um, I think they were even the lower seed, but I think uh, I, I had the Rangers as the favorite here. And they just didn't, they got outplayed every game. Svechnikov in game two. Um, I said it, I said it to Piniello before. I think this guy is going to take a leap like Stamkos did um, in his rookie in his rookie days. Remember how Stamkos had like 45 points in his first year and then the next year he had like 85? I feel like that's what Svechnikov is slowly starting to realize is his first year was kind of like a taste test. Uh, he didn't really know what his role was with the Carolina Hurricanes. Was he a second-line winger? Was he a top-line winger? They had Ajo going in and out of the wing at times, so... That, that, that made uh, Svechnikov's spot at the top line unavailable. But man, oh man, in game two, he got the hat trick. He was, the, it was Carolina's best player, arguably, in the whole series. I'd say him and Slavin were absolutely tremendous. But I got to ask this question, Alino. In a year or two, the pairing of Svechnikov and Ajo, does that pose a big threat in the Eastern Conference? And how great of a duo can these two be moving forward? Yeah, they the threat right now,
1: too, even when they're young players, you can see that last year and this year, everyone counting them out, but uh, they're resilient and you just see the kind of pairing they are. Uh, Aho's playmaking and uh, Sveshikov's goal scoring ability. I'm not gonna say they are this pairing, but like it's a good comparable. Like Backstrom and Ovechkin, you have the playmaker and Aho coming in, uh, you can count on him on every night to come in and produce offensively, make plays be a difference maker, make his teammates better. And you can count on Svechnikov to come in and score goals. Uh, I think Svetlakov easily can be a consistent 40 to 50 goal scorer. I don't see him being like a guy who's uh, going to be winning that heart uh, trophy or something like that. But I see him being a dominant goal scorer in the Eastern Conference. And this team, if they add just a few more pieces, it can be that top in the conference team. And they won't be maybe in that uh, wild card race or, second and third. So I think they're a couple of pieces away from being a real threat in the East, but those two for sure. I see a lot of backs from
0: a Ovechkin in them. Awesome. Um, moving forward uh, again in the Eastern conference, we kind of saw um, game number one was very close. We saw Petri ended in overtime. Uh, we already know where this is going. Montreal, believe it or not, is up on the Pittsburgh Penguins. I had the Penguins in three. <laughs> I thought they were going to clean sweep, if not maybe four games. But Carey Price has held his own. He's shut down Gunsel for the most part. Um, what are your thoughts on this series so far? And do you actually see the Pittsburgh Penguins going home early?
1: The more that that game was going on and I, Pittsburgh was getting frustrated with every missed opportunity, I think they can actually go home early and this is a team that should be going and making a run to the Stanley cup final. So that'd be a huge disappointment. And if they go out early to Montreal of all teams, then they're going to need to make a lot of changes. And it might have to be either Malkin or Crosby or uh, Chris Letang, because there's no excuse for this. Uh, Montreal, they're heavily relying on price and Weber Weber has been amazing. He's been that calming presence there for the defenders and, Just the whole team is leading by example. So uh, kudos to those guys. I didn't think Price would be able to rebound coming into this playoffs, but the four months off and Weber coming in, he's fully healthy. So that's a dangerous uh, thing for a lot of teams. And Pittsburgh, when you have Crosby, Malkin, Latang, you have Marlow just coasting there even for depth, like Gensel. There's no excuse why you shouldn't have swept this team. So there's going to have to be a lot of changes in Pittsburgh
0: if they end up getting eliminated. Where do, you see, uh, where do you see Montreal kind of going in the postseason? Because this is, a big, this is a big elimination. I mean, I think Pittsburgh, to me, could be a top three team in the Eastern Conference easily with Crosby, Malkin healthy. So I do agree there. I think if these guys are all healthy and they're moving and they're just going with it, um, they should easily be able to beat Montreal, who is, believe it or not, a 500 team. And they're in the playoffs right now. So Carey Price has done his job. Shea Weber has done his job. Even at times, I saw in Game 2, Jonathan Drouin, he looked like one of the best players on the ice. We got, we, a lot of people forget that he was third overall. So Drouin does still have some of that offensive flair and that potential. Max Domi is another guy that can get you a couple goals. Even Brendan Gallagher, as much as I hate him, he brings an impact every time he's on the ice. So I still believe that the Pittsburgh Penguins can win this series. I don't think it's over yet. But if Montreal were to win that is probably the biggest surprise coming out of the first round kind of like last year with Columbus sweeping the Tampa Bay lightning, but moving forward, going now to another really, really close series that again, to me, very, very surprising so far, Columbus, Toronto. I mean, Columbus in game number one, I I I can't stress enough how, how frustrated I was in after game one. I mean, you're paying three forwards over $10 million, and you can't get a goal against Corpusalo. I know Corpusalo and Merzlikas are great goaltenders. The defense is amazing with Wierenski and Jones and Murray. But you have to be able to score a goal against the Columbus Blue Jackets in a playoff game. So that for me, the first game, it, it made me very, very worried. I mean, you don't get a goal against the Blue Jackets. They played a calm, easy game. And that's what they're going to do the whole series because Columbus knows that they don't have the better offense than Toronto. So they're just going to be playing dump and chase hockey. Whenever the D have a chance to get it out of their zone, they'll flick it out to center ice. And that's just how they're going to play. Tortorella, he's a very good coach. He's manipulative. You know, he knows exactly what plays they're going to be running. So, I mean, I think the biggest question mark here is offense for the Leafs. If they can't generate at least two goals a game, then they're in hot water because Corpus Allo, believe it or not, has been just as good as Freddie Anderson. So um, I know both games. One was two nothing Columbus. Game two was three nothing Toronto. Um, Toronto absolutely killed them in game two. But Alino, I just want your thoughts so far on our hometown series. Yeah, it was tough, and uh, I think.
1: They may have taken Columbus a little lightly. I think Sheldon Keefe probably took them a little lightly. And uh, it showed like John Tortorella, I think, should be coach of the year after this year. What he's been able to do with all the guys that left Columbus and managed to get them into the playoffs. And they look good throughout the end of the year. He outcoached Sheldon Keefe big time in that first game. And it was frustrating to watch as a fan. When you see Matthews, he was doing okay. He had uh, probably out of the three of them, he was the best forward had like 23 minutes, 24 minutes, but Marner was... I didn't even notice him on the ice. Tavares was there, but he couldn't really get his groove offensively. Then game two, you see them still just... Having so much trouble scoring a goal, and then Tavares finally got there. Matthews got there, and it looked good. But now with Muzzin out, this is going to be tough for the Leafs because do you put Sandin in? Do you put some other defensive guy in there? Do you go with Marincin? Like this is going to be a very tough test for them. Uh, I hope they can win in the next two days, close out the series. But uh, Tortorella is a good coach. You know, sort of pushes teams buttons, as we saw with Dubois. So it's going to be a tough. Out in this qualifying round, if they want to get the out of the way tonight and tomorrow,
0: yeah. Um, I think the Leafs are going to win um, both games. I, I say the Leafs in four. Uh, I just think they're going to use this injury as motivation. And, um, regardless of it, whether it's Marinson, Lilgren, Sandine, I think they're going to do what the Leafs have o- always been doing the last two, three years is they're going to play Morgan Riley about 29 minutes and they're going to just roll with it and they're going to see how the results are um I know when it comes to penalty killing Morgan Riley usually is not on the ice so um I could see them potentially if if let's say they take a lot of penalties in game number uh game number 3 uh, and game number 4 I could see them maybe rolling with like Justin Hall playing like 22 minutes you could maybe even Believe it or not, I know this is gonna be painful to say, but maybe if he's, you know, playing his game very simple, maybe a Cody CC, a Tyson Barry, they can play relatively around twenty three minutes. Um, and then you can maybe put plug in Marinson on maybe the penalty kill. But majority of the time he's playing will be on the penalty kill. I wouldn't play Marinsen more than like 14 minutes. Um, so uh, you, at this point, Keith, now with the muzzin injury, he's definitely really got to pull his socks up as a coach. And he's got to look down the lineup and see, what do I have? What is each, what is the max potential for each player that I have here? Can Morgan Riley go for 29 minutes? Uh, I, I, I believe he can because he's been doing it for about two years now. So um, with the muzzin injury, Sheldon Keith really has to pull up his socks. I'm not worried. I think the Leafs are going to win the next two games. But again, I do like what you have said about Tortorella. What he's done this year with Columbus, I'm giving this guy coach of the year for sure. But um, moving forward, uh, I think we, we have one more series to talk about. It's the Islanders and the Panthers. The Islanders actually went up 2-0, but the Panthers won yesterday. Um, it's a recurring theme, uh, Alino. Bobrovsky, he's struggling again. Um, when does it get to that point where... Um, start kind of writing him off as a as a elite goaltender because I remember I think it was last year or a year and a half ago when we just started doing this podcast we were saying the same thing about Jake Allen so what what do you think's got to give here Alino with Bobrovsky yeah this is tough because he
1: signed a huge deal he's getting paid 10 million dollars a year now so the Panthers are invested in him for the future so if he comes out of this and they get, like, bounced pretty convincingly. This is not going to look good for their franchise already. they It's been tough because they got in Quenville, one of the best coaches in the league. They got in Barkov now. He's going to be, like, coming into his own as a player. So you need to surround Barkov with a type of su- supporting cast and forward. So if you already put that much money in your goaltending, that means you're expecting Bobrovsky to really carry you to the final. So... It's not looking good. Uh, I think they'll give him the pass this year because it's a new organization. But if it continues next year, uh, I wouldn't rule out them trading him uh, next summer if they continue to see these kind of results. And it's going to be tough. Maybe they're going to have to eat some money if he doesn't have a bad – or if he doesn't have a good year, sorry. So, yeah, this could be really bad for Florida
0: going forward. Do you see Florida – beating the New York Islanders, or do you see the Islanders holding them off for one more game and going on? I think the Islanders going to be similar to what Carolina did. I think they're going to just do
1: enough uh, to clinch a series, but going forward, I don't see the Islanders being that much of a threat. I see Carolina being above them in terms of uh, favorites to really come out or being a dark horse. So I think if they get past Florida, it's good for them, but uh, as the playoffs go on and they get the bad matchup, which is likely to happen in the next round, I don't see them
0: advancing too far. If they were to face like a Boston, do you see them winning a game, not winning a game? What, what, what are your thoughts on the Islanders-Bruins matchup if it were to happen? Because we all know how great of a coach um, Boudreaux is, and he, he, he likes going up against that physical matchup. So do you see the Islanders maybe upsetting Boston, or is that just far-fetched? I see them getting a game, but I can't see them getting the huge upset
1: like what Carolina was able to do last year with all those teams like Washington. So I see maybe one game if they're lucky if Barzell like really is on fire and their goaltending is straight, like I think the goaltending might be the matchup for them going in like Barlow and then you see uh, Rask. So maybe they'll catch him on a bad night. But going forward, like, I just don't see them being good enough to go to the final.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, now we got to go quickly to the Eastern uh, to the Western Conference Um, in the round robins. I think the best team that I've seen so far, believe it or not, has been Colorado. I think they've been absolutely incredible. You know, uh, Nazem Kadri beating the Blues. Uh, Then, of course, you know, they absolutely dismantled Dallas yesterday. So um, I think Colorado right now is looking like the team to beat. Uh, They also beat uh, no Vegas beat them the other night. But uh, in terms of uh, the Western Conference uh, and what you've seen so far out of all the top teams, who do you st- do you still think Vegas is the team to beat, or is it maybe Colorado? I'm gonna go with Vegas on that just because Robin Leonard was a
1: huge trade for them at the deadline. They have Flurry and Leonard now. So if Flurry is for whatever reason he's not able to go, or uh, you just see like a setback in a game, I think Leonard can come in and steal it. So. Uh, goaltending, they probably have the best duo of everyone in the playoffs right now. So that on top of their forward group, we got Mark Stone going, you have Pacioretty going, and I think they're probably the likely favorite to come out of the West. I don't see really too many teams matching up with them in terms of depth and just defense and goaltending. So I think they're the best overall team to come out the West.
0: Yeah. Um, I'll agree. I think Vegas, what I've seen so far, they look like the most team ready and it, it, they look like they're ready to go for a long run. The Blues, we all know, they won the Stanley Cup last year, but let's just look look at, look back at history. Chicago, after winning all those Cups, you get tired. The Kings, after winning those Cups and the, going on those runs, you get tired. So I think the St. Louis Blues, yes, they're probably the favorites to go again to the finals. I've actually... I had them uh, going to the finals before, but now with Robin Leonard, I don't, I think Vegas is the the team that's going to go the distance, but I think we got to talk about fatigue and stamina here. I mean, like you, you've been playing so much hockey for like the last year and a half. I think teams are going to start getting worn down, but again, they've been off for four months. So does that really affect those teams? So that's why um, I'm kind of mind boggled when I look at Pittsburgh and they're down and, um, and even like the Blues, like I, I don't know what to expect with St. Louis. Uh, they're either going to be super dominant once the series start or they can maybe even just crumble just based off of how tired they are. But um, let's quickly go into series by series. Uh, I'll start with the Chicago and Edmonton series. Um, just for me, very, very surprising. I mean, I kind of was joking when I said Chicago could beat Edmonton. I thought... Uh, In this bubble criteria, I think McDavid is the guy that strives the most. He's had the most rest. He's the fastest. He's the best player on the planet. And he's showing it five goals in three games. But here's the thing, Alino. They're still losing. They're down 2-1 in the series. Jonathan Taves has turned the clocks back. It looks like he wants his fourth cup. He has four goals as well in the series. So what are your initial thoughts on the Edmonton Oilers? Can you see them? going home early and if that's the case are we looking at a potential big trade in the offseason for Edmonton oh
1: man they're uh they're typical Oilers right now like you have McDavid best player in the world you have dry Seidel, but other than that like who's stepping up on this team I don't know who is like Nuge should be that guy but that's probably asking a little too much just depth and Goaltending being a huge question mark their defense not having Mike Green has been horrible for them so Chicago this is a horrible matchup for them I think the Oilers would have done so much better with any other team in the West maybe the Wild maybe the Canucks but they got the bad matchup with the Blackhawks here that's like the team that would give them the most problems you got Patrick Kane, Taves, League, uh Keith back there, Crawford like these guys know how to win uh, they've seen teams like the Oilers in the past, so with all that skill there, I think that made them a realistic per, uh, team to get past this round. I see the Blackhawks actually taking them out now and closing out the series, and, and the offseason, you're looking at probably
0: trading Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I like that. Um, out of two players that I've seen in the series, I'll say McDavid and Nugent have probably been the best players for the Edmonton Oilers. Darnell Nurse, for me, I don't know what's going on defensively. Uh, he's not doing his shutdown role. Um, yeah, I agree with you with the Mike Green. They need Mike Green. Um, I, I was watching the game the other day, and they, they can't even get it out of their zone at times. Like, Darnell Nurse is trying to pin two guys at once, and the other D, I think it was Chris Russell, um, you know, just not doing his role enough. And you could easily tell. Um, they were supposed to get the top four spot. But it just went to, uh, I think it was Nashville. So, um, or no, not Nashville. I think it went to uh, Dallas. It went to Dallas over Edmonton like the last day. And I think they're a point over Edmonton. So it really sucks because Edmonton was supposed to get the bye, but they didn't end up getting it. And then, of course, you look at the, the 12th-seeded team in the, in the Western Conference was a, was a dynasty – a couple of years ago in Chicago. And Jonathan Taves last year had 80 points this year, 60 and 70 games. Patrick Kane, we all know how great he is. He'll always get around 80 points as long as he's healthy. And for me, the biggest thing is the goaltending Mike Smith. I thought for a second would turn the clocks back, you know, prove to the Edmonton Oilers franchise that, you know, maybe I still have a little bit left in the tank, but he's allowed, I think he's allowed 10 goals in two games. Uh, He's been really, really bad. And then you look at Koskinen, who they had last year, and a lot of us were kind of contemplating, well, you you know, you have Cam Talbot and Koskinen. Those were two decent goalies. At least that's what we thought. Shirelli extends that guy another two years with the team, and he's also been terrible. So if I make David, and if they get eliminated in, like, in this series i think they need to get a goaltender i think they need to make a statement let's say um i already know i think they're going to be relatively high in the draft i think they'll be around like 10 11 so i think i know there's two goalies in this draft maybe go all in for that goaltender if you but again it's connor mcdavid he's 23 years old turning 24 um they're wasting his really really good offensive years right now so if I'm Edmonton, maybe try out and go get Braden Holpie in the offseason because he is a free agent. So I feel like if you maybe trade Nugent Hopkins, if you maybe trade another bad contract, maybe you can get Braden Holpe. And then maybe next year we could be talking a little more, a little more nicely about the Edmonton Oilers. I don't know if they're gonna lose the series. I know like when you're down two to one, it usually doesn't go well in your favor, but it is Connor McDavid. Um, they just need to outscore the opponent and we all know that McDavid and Dreisaitl, they're good at doing that. So I'm not really counting Edmonton out yet. I think they can get it together. Um, but you just, you have to shut down Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. If you, if even Kubalik, he's another a sneaky guy. He had 30 goals as a rookie. This guy's looking really solid, but um, I, I still like the matchup for Edmonton. I think they just need to stay focused. They need to just keep going with it. Uh, they have one of the best leaders in McDavid in the world and the best player. So I'll, I'll, I'll still say Chicago wins in five, but I'll, I'll give Edmonton game four. Can you imagine if uh, Frenier goes to Edmonton
1: <laughs> they win the lottery?
0: Yeah, and then they sign Taylor Hall as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be ridiculous. But moving forward, we got Winnipeg and Calgary. Um this series to me is very, very fun i think uh who i think Winnipeg's winning that series it, it's it's either Winnipeg or, or no did Calgary win yesterday I think calgary won yesterday yeah calgary won yeah. yeah Calgary won, so they're up two to one um terrible news all basically all year with Winnipeg they've had injuries all season, uh like we talked about last week, you know uh when your whole defensive end gets basically traded. Um, what they were able to do this year was incredible. We all know how great of a coach, uh, um, he is over there. Um, he's, he's one of the best coaches, Rashard, one of the best. Um, he's like, okay. You talk about guys that like need, need to get going. Kyle Connor has to get going in the series. Haven't really seen him. Uh, Patrick line, of course is injured. Shifley. Injured because of the Matt Kachuk hit in Game Number One. Um, what are your initial thoughts on both teams? I know this is a this well we were anticipating it to be a very close, fun series. Who do you think is the better team, Alino, in the long run? In the long
1: run, I'm going to go Winnipeg. But right now, I think this is Calgary who should be going on to the next round. You just look at everything that the Jets lost: Bufflin, Truba, and Myers on defense. Like those were their top three defensemen last year, and then Maurice can only do so much with this group defensively like you can only progress so many guys all at once but uh good on them for even making it this far they made it interesting even when Lion A and Shifley rode in game two they got the win but uh Calgary needs to win this and if I'm Lion A you got to look at after this year because now once this season's over this whole playoff run you can negotiate on your extension because he had a two-year bridge deal so you can look at your next contract if you're coming out in a game and not looking really good it's going to damage maybe how much you can get in that extension that you bet on yourself for so I think Calgary needs to win this they have the overall depth to get it done for this round and uh, Kachuk is probably the difference maker going forward playoff style hockey he's going to be relied on to keep going as close to the edge as possible but uh, they're a good team that if goaltending is on point, they can make a run in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think Calgary's the better team right now. Uh, what with what I've seen, I like I like your point with Matt Kachuk. I think that's that's perfect. I think he is an X factor in any series he's a part of. Um, one of the best leaders as well in the league. Uh, a lot of people don't like him just based off of the antics that he does, but he's only doing that to protect his teammates and to make a statement and an impact on any series. So he did that in game one. Um, he it, it did look accidental. A lot of people said he did that on purpose. I didn't really see the intent to like injure Shifley there. I thought he just kind of went, finished his check, followed up, I guess his foot kind of cut him somewhere. But uh, I do agree with everything you said. I think Winnipeg in the long run is the better team. But I think as of right now, I think the cards are just, that they're in Calgary's favor. I mean, Hellebuck is by far the better goaltender, but, um, it's just like, it's looking like they're in a hole that they can't climb out of with all the injuries and everything that's kind of going on with the Winnipeg jets. And it's a shame because time and time, I think this is now the third year in a row where a lot of fans are saying, yeah, I think this is Winnipeg's year to maybe go to the finals and they haven't really done it. Um, I kind of I look at Toronto just like Winnipeg. They've, there's been this little window and they haven't really been able to be as successful as the fan base has wanted it. Maybe that's just the pressure of the fan base. I'm really not sure but um, I think Winnipeg and Toronto are very, very similar in terms of expectations, where they should be and just flat out where they aren't and um, they haven't really done enough but I, I like a guy that hasn't done enough for me in the series, believe it or not, is Blake Wheeler. I haven't really seen him. I haven't heard a lot of him. And he's the captain. He's the guy that usually uh he's he 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 steers the sheep uh, the 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 ship in Winnipeg. You know, he's one of the better offensive players in the NHL. And uh I just haven't seen enough from him. So when you have a guy like Monaghan and Kachuk and Goudreau going hard, I think that's gonna be the difference. And Again, well, no one talks about Calgary's defense enough. I think they have one of the best blue lines in the NHL, Mark Giordano, Noah Hennepin. Um, you know, you have Valamaki Anderson. You have a lot of guys that are struggling to even make the team because th- their defense is just, they have so much depth. They even got Hammonick last year. So, like, this team is not, they're not to be played with. So, I think Calgary's going to win it. And maybe we can see an upset kind of like with Carolina last year if Calgary is rolling. So I'm going to go with Calgary beating Winnipeg. And then, of course, we got the other series. We got the series that Alino, it looks like he might be calling. Nashville (laughs) and Arizona. I said Nashville would sweep, kind of like with the Rangers, and it's looking like it's going the opposite way. Alino, talk a little bit about Arizona. And uh, what are your thoughts on them actually pulling it off so far?
1: Yeah, I'm not surprised there. Uh, Arizona went under the radar at times. You look at the team. Yeah, Kessel had a bad year coming into this new group, but uh, Taylor Hall's been picking it up recently. Didn't expect him to do that, but he's produced a lot. Kessel's been amazing in the playoffs consistently. Darcy Kemper's been standing on his head in net, just becoming that guy that everyone saw as being the potential Vesna winner before he got hurt this year, so... If there's a team that actually benefited the most from this whole uh, four-month break, I think it's Arizona because now they're playing like the team that they were back in October, November, December. So it's a scary thing for a lot of Western Conference teams. It's going to catch them a lot off guard because they have a lot of depth at center, especially the youth there with Keller and Hayden coming in. So... I think Arizona is going to be that surprise for a lot of people. I see them getting past Nashville. I see them even getting past the first round in this playoffs against whoever uh, one of those teams are. I think Dallas might be the likely team. But uh, Kessel could be uh, on his way to becoming another difference maker for another run here with Arizona. So good for the Arizona fan base over there. And hopefully at least something positive when fans are actually allowed back in the arena.
0: Well, talking about Arizona, how about Nashville? What do you think is going on with Nashville? I was saying before, most they're they're mostly healthy. Uh Yossi to me might even be the best defenseman in the league. I think just based off of stats this year, you could obviously argue that it's John Carlson. But I think in terms of what he gives you on a nightly basis, uh the two way defensive game that he has, I think Yossi might be the best defenseman in the NHL right now. And uh, I know that's a hot take. You have guys like Hedman. You have a lot of other guys that may be a little better than him. But right now, I think Roman Yossi might be the best defenseman in the NHL, and yet they still can't beat this Arizona team. What are your thoughts on Nashville? And if you're a Nashville Predators fan, where do you start drawing the line? Because they did go to the conference finals a couple years ago. Um, just like, where do you where do you think this organization is going if they don't beat the Arizona coyotes. Do you see them maybe rebuilding? Do you see them maybe trading a big name? Because again, they've been so close for so many years and they still haven't been able to do it just like the San Jose sharks. And I would have said just like the St. Louis blues, but they finally got it done last year. When can the Nashville predators do what the St. Louis blues do? And if they can't, who are they trading? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh,
1: this team, yeah, they've really done everything there. The GM went out and got the big signings. He got Duchesne. I think he gave him a little too much money based on his playoff performance last year, but like they did every position. Usually their the knock on Nashville was they had no offense and just too much defense with Weber, Suter, uh, Jones even after. like They just relied so much on their defensive presence and they didn't really go after the offensive players and now they actually did go after those offensive guys. They have a good balance and goaltending. Like Soros played well. Uh, but I think Rene should have been the starter in game one. You should have went that route that the Rangers went when they put Lundqvist in. Go with the guy that has been in that uh scenario in the past. And then if worse comes to worse, then you put in Soros when he doesn't have to think too much about it. And this is a team where you can't really trade too many guys outside of Ryan Ellis. Uh I don't think they're gonna trade Forsberg, but maybe at home, like it's going to be guys on the defensive end that are going to draw the most interest because I don't think too many teams are going to line up to take Duchesne's contract or Granlin. so they're in a tough situation.
0: Wow, well, that's a, that's, good, uh, that's a good analogy right there, but what do you, now we're going to go into the last series before we quickly talk about hoop. Um, the, the Minnesota Wild and the Vancouver Canucks, uh, it's, it's tied 1-1 right now. Um, tonight I think is game three. They're the latest. They're the, they're the series that has played the least amount of games. What do you think is going to happen here with this series? I kind of said that I could see Minnesota upsetting Vancouver just based off of everything that's been handed to them. Um, has looked amazing. I thought they were easily going with Dubnik as the starter, but I guess that's not the case. What are your thoughts on this series? And do you even see Vancouver maybe making a run, or is that kind of far fetched?
1: I think they have the skill to do it. It's just uh, this is like a matchup type of series so with like, Minnesota. They're able to use uh, their style to slow down the Canucks. I think the Canucks are a skilled team. Uh, they have a lot of guys like Pedersen, Besser, Horvat, uh, Tofoley, Pearson. Like they have experience there in the playoffs, but. I just think Minnesota's doing, they're they're sticking to their game plan a lot better. Uh, Parise's up there in age, but he's producing. Stahl's up there in age, he's producing. So I just think it's going to come down to uh, maybe an overtime goal a bounce here or there. But I see this going five games and Vancouver getting, just edging them out. Uh, this is just a tough out for them. I think Minnesota's a good matchup for them in terms of a team that can actually pull off this kind of upset, but... When you're looking at the offseason, I do see Zach Parise moving on. I know uh, the Islanders was that trade that fell through. I see him going to the Islanders, and maybe even Eric Stahl could be on the move. So there's a lot of moves uh, Minnesota are going to have to do just to get a new identity for themselves, and I think they're a few years away from really making a run like this going forward.
0: Yeah, I think this is the year where, like, this is the offseason where I think Minnesota starts realizing we need to rebuild. Uh, we have... Uh, who They have Kirill Kaprasov coming in next year uh, from the KHL. He's been highly touted for like two, three years now. Um, he's looking like a, a top-line winger right away. He's been dominating the KHL the last three years. They've said he could be like a Panarin. Um, so that's, a, that's really high praise. If Parise and Eric Stahl were to move on, um, you can maybe start you know, really relying on guys like Kevin Fiala. He's looking like your future. Um, That was a great trade, I think, for Minnesota trading. um, I think it was Ryan Hartman and a couple others to Nashville. Um, It's just looking like everything is starting to maybe fall in place finally for Minnesota. If they lose this series to Vancouver, I think this is a very eye-opening series loss. I feel like they would open their eyes finally, look at what they have. Like, Matt Dumba's, I think, 25, 26. He's just entering his prime years. I think this is a guy that you can really build uh, on your blue line. He's a great player. Ryan Suter's, what, 35 years old? Um, he probably has another two, three years at most. If I don't think you'll be able to trade him with his contract, but if you could trade Parise, Eric Stall, and maybe even a guy like Amiko Koivu who's been there forever, um, you can maybe get some young pieces, then maybe we can start – Officially saying that Minnesota is in rebuild mode. I've been trying to say that for years, but that's just hasn't been the case. So I really hope Vancouver wins this series just based off of, I think it would rejuvenate Minnesota and it would really have them understand that they are a team that is in need of a rebuild and an identity check. So I'm going for Vancouver here. I really hope they win this, but uh, so far it's been very fun. Uh, the bubble, a uh, very, very different, no fans, but they're still, they're still killing it with, you know, with the uh, announcing. I still think they're doing a great job, everything that they've done, everything they've handled. Um, one last thing before we kind of go off of the NHL. In terms of what they've done in ter- with, the ra- with the racial equality, with the Black Lives Matter, you talk about Matt Dumba putting his fist out. You talk about a little more NHL players kneeling for the anthem. Do you think this is going to be a trend moving forward or do you think this is just kind of in the heat of the moment because there are no fans at the arenas? For
1: hockey, I think it needs to be a trend going forward. Uh, It needs to be something that they constantly have at games and just in their community because I think hockey gets more of the criticism, and rightfully so, just because they kind of seem tone-deaf on a lot of issues. Uh, I see them really looking at Evander Kane and Matt Dumba and really listening to them because if you see like hockey, everything about it, it's like they kind of frown on people showing their personality a bit uh, in terms of movements and it's like, they don't want to talk about it. So I think they really need to Uh, Evander Kane seems to be the more outspoken one. So I think that's good and uh, hopefully it leads to something, but yeah, they have to have this every game and, going on to next year and at least show something where it trickles down to the youth level, like OHL, um, WHL and QMJHL, Western Hockey League. They all have to hear that. So like that, you can at least start from that level. And then once it gets to the NHL, you don't really see it as much.
0: Awesome. Um, now quickly for maybe another 10 minutes, we'll talk about hoop. Um, it's been pretty eye opening. Since the restart in the NBA, that who the best team in the NBA is. I think we before before the, the whole bubble started, a lot of people were saying you know Milwaukee is the best team in the NBA. They're the team to beat, but I don't know, man. I've been watching the uh, I've been watching a lot of games in the bubble, and, and teams like the Lakers are struggling. Teams like the Clippers are struggling. Even the Bucks are struggling. But the only team that has not struggled is the Toronto Raptors. A lot of people now are starting to, to praise the Raptors. They just beat the Heat. They beat the Lakers. They've beaten very, very good teams, and teams that a lot of fans have thought, maybe the Raptors can't hang with. So, Alino, I have to ask this question. After the last couple of weeks in the bubble, is Toronto the team to beat in the Eastern Conference over Milwaukee?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think uh, what we saw in the past few games This team actually took it seriously right from the start. They didn't slow down. They didn't really have too much um, I guess offensive type uh, rust going into them where you're coming off like a long layoff and we see with other teams they struggle offensively in the first few games but this team looks like the team that they did were in, it was like March, like right before everything shut down. So I think the Raptors are the team to beat. I think they're going to make a run in the Eastern Conference. I see them going to the finals and uh, the way they've been playing, uh, just their mentality of the group, I wouldn't rule out them being back to back champions when this is all done.
0: Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I'll, I'll bring it now to the Western Conference. Just we'll, We can maybe talk a little more about the East after. Um, there's just so much going on in the West and just in basketball in general. You know, Jaron Jackson Jr. going down with an injury, Memphis now 0 3 in the bubble. Uh, the Sacramento Kings 0-3, the Suns 3-0. Um, I, I, I mentioned before the bubble came back, I said Phoenix could be a team to kind of watch, and Piniello just kind of, <laughs> he's like, nah, there's no way. Um, what are your thoughts on Phoenix so far in the bubble? And do you see them maybe being that eighth seed, or do you still think it's relatively going to go to Portland or New Orleans?
1: Yeah, this is tough, but I like how the Phoenix Suns came into this and played spoiler. Like, what they did against the Clippers, I thought that was amazing. We saw Devin Booker hit that game winner. Uh, I just think they're too far out just to make ground. I think if they were to come into this being in a similar position where the Pelicans were, where they're in reach, I think they could have been a realistic team to make it, but I just think there was too many... Uh, losses you have to count on from other teams for this to be a possibility. I think New Orleans, just the way they played against Memphis in that game, winning by 10 points and the way Zion looked when he didn't have a minutes restriction at times, uh, I think that's a team to beat. It's just if the Pelicans are able to make the ground and get in, is going to be one thing. I think Memphis, if they get a win or two, that's all they really need. Uh, but yeah, I want to see the Pelicans make it. I think they're going to be a dark horse if they get in. Uh, the way the Lakers have been playing, I wouldn't even rule out an upset in a seven-game series, but that's gonna—it's gonna be tough getting there, I think, for the Pelicans.
0: Yeah, um, I'm right there with you. I think in terms of the last seed, I think it's gonna go to Portland. Uh, Nurkic is healthy; he's looking like a monster, and you could also give the ball in crunch time not only to Damian Lillard but to Carmelo Anthony. He drained that through the other day. He looked clutch as ever. Looked like Vintage Melo on the New York Knicks in his prime. Uh, You you know, we we bashed Carmelo on this this podcast quite a bit, but we've also praised him. And uh, this is where I'm going to praise him. I think no one really understands how great of a player Carmelo Anthony has been in his career. He has not won anything. He hasn't won a championship. But what he has been able to do for 15-plus years, I think is just Hall of Fame-worthy. He's one of the best scorers I've ever seen, and you already have one of the best scorers in the league in Damian Lillard. You can just add Carmelo Anthony to that for leadership, for clutch moments. CJ McCollum's another guy that could drop 35 in a game. Even Nurkic, they have Whiteside. This team, to me, is outstanding. I think Portland can easily beat out the Lakers if they're all rolling, because right now, LeBron James is not looking like LeBron James. And it seems like AD is at his best every other game. He's not as consistent as he was before. And, of course, the bench for the, for the Lakers right now, I don't know what's going on. They're not producing at all. Um, JaVale McGee has to be better. Dwight Howard has to be better. We all know they're not going to get points, but they got to be a little bit better. Uh, Dion Waiters is another guy that, you know, they signed him. And uh, he's, he's, a, he's an offensively instinctive guy. He'll go on the court and he'll just try and score. Same with J.R. Smith. And both of them have not gotten the minutes and they haven't gotten the touches to be a big threat. So I guess, Alino, here's where I ask the question. Um, in terms of a Lakers matchup, you think the Pelicans can beat the Lakers. Do you think the Lakers can beat any of those teams with ease? Or do you think if it's Portland or the Pelicans, we can easily, we could see a seven-game or, or an upset? Oh, that's tough. Uh, I think we can see an upset with the
1: Pelicans. Maybe Portland, if they're all rolling, we can see an upset. I think they can beat uh, Memphis with ease. Uh, maybe like a five-game series. I think just John Morant, uh, Like You're probably going to rely on Valanchunas' veteran Uh, leadership if you're going into a series like that and i just think ad and lebron are going to be too much of a matchup problem for them so they match up a lot better with memphis but if you go in and take on the pelicans there's a lot more weapons there you got jj reddick who's playing really well from three danny green hasn't been playing well since his bubble started and he's a guy you rely on for threes uh and then you just look at portland mellow uh, McCollum, Lillard. I think that's too much of a problem if everyone's rolling and uh, the Lakers aren't rolling, especially a team that doesn't have the kind of depth that some of these other teams do. So they got to pray that Memphis is a team that comes out, so at least it gives them some rest going to the second round of the playoffs. But if you're playing the Pelicans or Portland, you're gonna look at a seven game series.
0: Yeah. Um, in terms of Miami and uh, the and the Pacers and. All those teams, the Sixers in the middle there in the Eastern Conference. Out of those three teams, who do you see being the biggest threat there? Uh, Probably, this is tough to say, but probably
1: Philly. I'll still give them that uh, edge over there just because Ben Simmons and Embiid have been there before. And last year they came within a shot of uh, going on to the next round. Kawhi Leonard got that for the Raptors, but... They have to, in terms of their development and if they want to actually keep this core intact, they have to get to the playoffs and at least get past maybe the first round. Like second round, if it goes to seven games, I don't think it would be too bad on their franchise. But I still see this being uh, the last season we see them beat and Simmons together.
0: Yeah, Um, I'll say the Heat. I think the Heat are a bigger impact and a bigger threat than the Sixers, at least for now. And I'll say it again because of the perimeter shooting. The, the Sixers do not have a shooter. Yes, we, we've we seen, you know, Shake Milton drop 40 in a game one time this year based off his threes, but that's about it. Kirk can go, Corkmas uh, can shoot the three. Shake Milton can shoot the three. Josh Richardson can shoot the three. And that's about it. Joel Embiid shoots threes, but he shoots it way too much, and that shouldn't be his role. Ben Simmons, uh, Bruce Brown has told Ben Simmons, He should be taking more threes. And guess what? He's not taking any threes. So um, I think in the long run, when you when, you know, in playoffs, the game does kind of slow down. And yes, Philly does have a really dominant defensive team. But I think at the end of the day, you need marksmen. You need shooters. And that is what the Miami Heat have. They have Jimmy Butler, who he's not the greatest three point shooter, but he's one of the best teammates in the NBA. You have Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero. To me, they're marksmen. They are three-point badasses. They can both shoot over 40% from three. I think Duncan Robinson is a huge threat to anybody in this bubble. Um, Another guy that I love, and I think he's been one of the best stories in the year, Kendrick Nunn going undrafted and then becoming one of the best rookies in the NBA. I think it's amazing to see. And of course, again, no one talks about Miami grabbing Jay Crowder and Iguodala. I think those are two key pieces. They're both great defensive players. And of course, the more we talk about him, the better he gets is Bam Adebayo. I think over this course of this season, he's been one of the best centers in the NBA. So I think Miami is a little bit better than the Philadelphia 76ers. But here is my question for you, Alino. And this is where it gets really tricky. And then maybe we will call it here we talk about the Sixers, we talk about the Heat being the threat. Are the Celtics a tier above those teams or are they relatively around the same as the Heat? Because more people I talk to, they have the Heat over the Celtics, believe it or not.
1: Oh, man. No, I I think the Celtics are a tier above them. I think the Celtics are a better team than the Heat. I think the Heat are still emerging. Uh, They're coming up. They're ascending to that spot. But I think they're another year away from really being a threat like that. But uh, the Celtics have Kemba Walker, who's amazing. Uh, Jason Tatum. Uh, so this is a team that actually could make a run. It wouldn't be like out of the ordinary to see them in an Eastern Conference final. But I don't see a team like Philly getting there. I just They have too many problems within their own organization to make that happen. And uh, I'd see maybe the Celtics being the upset there. If the Celtics are under the radar that much, they're going to be underestimating what Tatum brings. I think Tatum is right there with some of the best in the Eastern conference at his position. So uh, I do see the Celtics making a run Celtics, Raptors and bucks.
0: Love it. Well, that's it for this week. Um, make sure to tune in next week where we will probably have Pinello back in the studio. Last week was Mikey's minute. That was fun. Um, he wasn't here this week, but we always encourage him to come back whenever. Um, make sure guys to keep tuning in, watching our podcast and make sure to go on Sportsnet and watch these games because, let me tell you, it's a different experience this year, you know, in the bubble. It's just awesome. It's different. It's virtual. And um, technology is still bringing everyone together, which is a great sign. So, guys, that's it for this week. This is Episode 91. This is me, Chris Martelli, and Giancarlo Aulino signing off.